This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Necessary Roughness, brought to you by Southfield Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram. With 11-year NFL veteran, Big Ten Offensive Lineman of the Year, and captain of the National Championship Michigan Wolverines, John Jansen. And 10-year NFL veteran, two-time Pro Bowl offensive tackle, and Super Bowl champion with the Green Bay Packers, T.J. Lang. Now, here's John Jansen and T.J. Lang. Well, we're two games into this preseason. One win, one loss, finally a win for the Detroit Lions. And we're going to talk about the game and the practices that they had against the Indianapolis Colts last week. We'll give a little preview and our thoughts on the upcoming game for the Pittsburgh Steelers. But um, I am now sitting in studio with a very famous individual. Now, I knew T.J. Lang, former Pro Bowler, Super Bowl champ, all of these different things. But I had no idea that you were a a social media... uh, I don't even know what word to put on it because social media is not my thing. But superstar, I guess we'll go with superstar because you showed up in the New York Post. And I guess you haven't made it until you've shown up in the New York Post. And uh, the reason that you're in the New York Post is because of a hit that Kayvon Thibodeau took in the New York football Giants matchup this past weekend against the Cincinnati Bengals. There was an offensive lineman, came across the formation, pulling tight end, end, whatever, Um, and threw a low block, legal low block on Kayvon Thibodeau. Thibodeau went out with an injury. Originally, it was thought to be possibly season-ending. However, we find out that it's just a sprained MCL. He's going to be out three to four weeks, probably back for their opener. But the reaction has been wide in regards to those that thought that that was dirty, malicious, trying to hurt him as opposed to some that have actually played the game who thought that that was just a common block that is thrown, I think you've said five times a game, I would say probably upwards of 10, 11, 12 times a game. And so the reason that you were active on the Twitter is because uh, one of our friends in the media, uh, Michigan alum, as I would like to uh, to point out as well, and, and I am uh, not in agreement with him, but one Rich Eisen of the NFL Network uh, showed a clip of the hit that Kayvon Thibodeau took, and here is his tweet. Penalty, hefty fine, suspension, nothing less is acceptable. 
that laugh you hear is from the voice that we haven't heard from yet, and that is TJ Lang. And I just, before, before you come on, I want to read your tweet along with maybe a couple of others because your response, and you quote tweeted him, saying that it was a routine block, but for a block that happens 10 times per game, JC, people calm down. It's a routine block. Result, but routine legal block. Uh, and uh, No, you're not wrong at all. <laughs> not wrong at all. And I can't believe the play that this is getting. Now, I, I, under, yeah. I guess I, I can believe it because... The first round pick, you know... Yeah. It, it did. Did it look bad in slow motion? Of course it did. There's Every a lot of hits that in you slow motion looks bad. Yeah, right? I think. Uh, I mean, you have. It, it was surprising to me to see. And look, the normal fan who you know maybe just watches. Uh, a lot of people don't tend to. Your eyes really don't go to the trenches and the offensive line, defensive line. You're usually watch, watching the ball. So, from a normal fan's perspective. Uh, you know, asking quite, hey, is that a legal hit? Wow, are they allowed? Yes, they they are. But when you get these, you know, prominent analysts and people that have been around the game for for years, and you know, they're calling it a, a dirty hit and calling for this kid to be suspended and fined. It's like you have a group of people that I think, you know, they are analysts. They are good at their job. They are smart, or else they wouldn't be doing it. Rich Eisen being one, um, but. You have a lot of people that tend to just watch highlights, right? They just tend to watch the red zone channel and watch the big plays and watch the explosive plays and the touchdowns and all the, you know, all the cool shit that people are interested in. Um, there's that doesn't mean you're, you know, an expert in football because there's right. a lot of people that if you watch that play immediately, you should say, "Oh wow, that sucks." Thibodeau, you know, maybe he should have taken that block on differently because yeah, that happens hands, all the could have wrong arm, wrong arm, yeah, could have wrong, done a lot of wrong things. shoulder, right? I, I talked to some of my defensive end buddies. Hey, how do you do this? Well, you either you know put your in that situation your wrong shoulder in the guy like a spill technique, or you know you know you're getting cut probably ninety percent of that of those plays. So it's almost turns into like a chase anticipate the cut and I've seen a lot of guys jump over that because you know yep. it's coming. You can't just stand there. You can't just stand there and turn sideways and, and have your uh you know hip just completely exposed to the blocker coming across from you. And so that's in my mind it's like that was one hundred percent avoidable on Thibodeau's part because he he is you're gonna tell me that's the first time he's seen that block. He saw that block in college probably 10, 15 times a game. You think there were tight ends uh you know, at, in the Pac-12 that wanted in, in to match up with him? That were coming in and trying to go shoulder to shoulder with him? No, I guarantee you he saw that block probably 100 times in his career. So it's just like, when you, but when you hear these people that are just like, oh, it's so dirty and egregious and fine him and suspend him, it's like, have you guys not watched football in the past decade? Like, do you not? It, it's just, it gets me so riled up, man. And it's just because it's a legal play that yeah. happens all the time. Is it a bad result? Yes, it's a bad result. We, we, you know, we had a fear that maybe the first round pick, you know, tore his knee up and was going to be gone for the year. Why? On, on a cup block in the preseason, you could call it, you know, bush league if you want. You could call it maybe unnecessary because look, it's the preseason game. I remember playing preseason games. It was kind of a truce between, you know, O line, D line. Hey, I'm not going to cut you. Not you unnecessary know, if his job's on the line. Well, exactly, and and that's what the kid's probably doing exactly what he's coached to do, right? But there is an aspect of uh, preseason football where 
you know, I remember talking to some guys and, hey, you know, we're not going to ET. I'm not coming at your head. You know, I'm not yeah. going to try to ear hole you. And it's like, OK, I appreciate that, man. I'm not going to cut block you. I'm, although I'm supposed to, I'm not going to do it because it's preseason. I'm going to take care of your legs. Right. Yeah. But when you talk about young players, I mean, Thaddeus Moss, is he a, a starter in this league? No, he's a guy fighting for a position. Right. So he's going to go out there and try to do everything he, his coaches tell him to do and do it at a, at a high level. So um, that was just I mean, I thought it was embarrassing. Some of the reactions that we saw from oh. uh national uh you know prominent analysts and people who are supposedly experts on the game i just thought it was absolutely embarrassing and even there were i mean you can go back and look at all the all the comments from former players I oh mean, i want to give you one because I, I like getting you riled up now hold on don't do it. i want to get you riled up Is here's one new? here's one from now to me you're a rookie until you make the team and you play games your second year right now we all know that Micah Parsons is going to make the Dallas Cowboys and yeah. he's going to not be a rookie any longer but still a rookie um here is his comment and, and I'm going to give you two so just hold your aggression let's go gaslight me I don't I don't why cutting is still allowed in the NFL we grown AFing men Let's play ball, bro. I hate to see that, man. That's from Micah Parsons. Um, and there's one more I was trying to find by one of the Acho brothers. Um, oh, and, don't do it. And, and I can't find it off the top of my head oh, here. I, I saw it. It's something about how cowardly it was and coward yes. and coward and coward. Yes. Yeah, so I, I did see that one, which is an absolute joke of a take, too, because – you would think the Acho brothers, I mean, I don't, they didn't have great NFL careers, but they did play a little bit. I mean, imagine <laughs> they sell those blocks quite a bit, too. But Michael Parsons, you know why cut blocks are allowed in the NFL? For big-ass people like you, 260, coming downhill from seven yards with a full steam of uh, uh, smoke behind your ass and go, trying to go one-on-one -on -one with a 200-pound running back. Is that a fair matchup? No. you got to give the guy a chance to even out the playing field a little bit, yeah. man. You can't just go after this dude's head every single time. He's going to come after your knees once in a while. You know what else cut blocks are for? Well, they used to be, and the NFL changed it a couple years ago, which I absolutely hated. Defensive linemen hold the out of offensive linemen. You're trying to run zone plays on the backside. You know, you got that three tech that's just grabbing the out of the guard while he's trying to uh, climb up to the linebacker and get his job done. That's when you say, hey, right tackle. When he's grabbing me, you freaking cut the shit out of his knees. Get him the hell yeah. off of me, right? That's why That's why that play is in. There were also, God, I had a coach that anytime you ran a screen, and it's not, cutting is not to try to hurt people. It's to try to slow them down. It's yeah. to try to create space. It's try to uh, allow the running back just that extra split second where that dude, you know, now his hands are on the ground trying to, you know, even if you don't get the guy down, as long as you slow him down, it's a productive block. Uh, I had a coach where anytime we used to run a screen, you know, on the perimeter, wide receiver, halfback, anything. If all you had to do was try to cut your guy, and it was a plus. Yeah. It was a plus. It didn't matter if you whiffed. It didn't matter if you were five feet from the guy. All you had to do was go out there and dive at the guy. Because even if you, like I said, don't get him down, if you make him change direction just a little bit, that might be the split second you need uh, for that, you know, running back, wide receiver, whatever, to turn that play into an explosive game. So, we used to love when screens get called because it's like, I don't even have to get my guy. I just got to go out there and throw on him, man. Just go dive at his feet and see what happens. But uh, they also took out, I, I believe, you know, where DBs can no longer cut pulling linemen. Right, yes, correct. Right. If you're if you're pulling out, like say you're on a, we used to have a play called 18 ram, a toss sweep or whatever it was, and the tackle, pull the tackle out. 
uh, go out there. I used to love getting on those little guys uh, until they, you know, it, the light bulb went off in their head saying, I don't want to take on this guy. And yeah. first of all, they're way better athletes than we are. Oh, of course. I uh, hate to admit it, but way they better. direction a little bit quicker. Uh, yes. And so then they would just start cutting us. And there was a bunch of guys with knee injuries. I get it. When you go at somebody's knees, there is a risk of injury. When you step on the football field, there's a risk of injury. Yeah. It's inherent to the game. It's a violent game. And it's supposed to be violence. We can't take out every single thing, or else we'd be playing soccer. Yeah, but do, do or and here's something that, gosh, I I don't know the answer off the top of my head. I can guess. Do you know how many injuries come from cut blocks? I would say not very many. I would say most of the knee injuries, whatever, is from guys kind of getting rolled up on you to where you're not expecting it. Oh yeah. If you're going chest to chest with the dude, and you're going, and you look him in the eye the last second, you go low on him. I mean, there's not. That's not a high risk of injury type play. No, you just don't see it, right? Obviously, with Kayvon Thibodeau, he got caught in a bad position, and you know, I, I I guarantee, and I hope his coaches would tell him, "Hey, you know, it sucks you got hurt, but what the hell are you doing just standing there? You can't just stand right. there yeah. sideways and let yeah. a guy don't take on blocks that way. If you go face to face, chest to chest with the dude, and he throws on you, now you got a chance to at least get your feet off the ground and. Are you probably going down? Probably, but now you got a chance to at least get over that block, yeah. right? So uh, I, I don't remember. I used to cut block, gosh, maybe I wasn't the best cutter, so I didn't do it often, but maybe three, four times a game. I can never remember throwing a cut block on somebody and hurting them ever in my 10-year career. I can never remember a play where I threw a cut and, uh, you know, the, I had to get up and feel right. bad about it because it was just, it's just, it's, it's not a, it's not, in my mind, I don't think a dangerous play, no matter how bad it looks or how... No, and the intention's uh, not know, there either. The You're not, not intending to hurt, to hurt anyone. No, you do it to try to slow them down. That's and it. to Kayvon Thibodeau's credit, all of this response has come from either talking heads or other players. His response, and I love this, rookies, seen and not heard, we're good, good news. Yeah. That's it. That's it, yeah. He didn't bitch about not it. Not dirty play, no. Yeah. Because you know why? Because he's seen that block probably a hundred times already. Throughout college, and I guarantee you, you know, if he's you go back, see and more. He's probably he's going he's to see it a whole lot more too. Uh, speaking of rookies, though, I, I wanted to ask you one thing before we move on to the Lions. Um, did you see? Gosh, it was either last week or a couple weeks ago. There was a clip of uh, Jordan Davis, the big D tackle for Philly. Yeah, and he was bull rushing the Cam uh, Jurgens. Cam Jurgens, their rookie center, I believe. Yeah, too. yeah, former tight end. Um, yeah, he was bull rushing him, and you know. Cam was trying to hop, hop, hop. It, it just, it was a, it was it was a losing a battle. It was a losing battle. He took his time. And and obviously that clip went viral. viral. Everybody was talking about Jordan Phillips, or not, not Jordan Phillips, Jordan Davis, um, you know, about how strong he was. Did you see his response, though, when he was asked about it? I'll, I'll ask you about and I don't have it right in front of me, but he said something along the lines of, you know, they asked him in the media about, uh, you know, the viral bull rush yeah. and all that stuff. And he said, well, you know, what you guys don't see is the, eight other snaps where, you know, Cam's stoning my ass at the line of scrimmage or Cam's breaching me or Cam's doing this. And yeah, that. I wish people would quit and, talking about that one yeah, play. Yeah, I wish people – it's not about the one play because, you know, Cam's also, you know, gotten me a ton of times that haven't gone viral, so it's not really fair. That, for me, like, I love that response, man. It was like, holy – like, you yeah. know, you usually get a lot of guys when they have a highlight-type play, they like to pat themselves on the back and – Oh yeah, man. You know, I took his ass on a ride, whatever it is, right? But the fact that he came out and was like, "Guys, like, calm down. You know, it's one play. It's one on ones." Cam got my ass a whole bunch of times too. Um, I thought it was, I thought it was extremely mature 
for a rookie to say something like that. And I was like, damn, man, that's kind of, you know, kind of a Jordan Davis fan now, right? I kind of yeah. like, like that. I appreciate I that. I get it, yeah. Normally I mean, when you get defensive linemen, they're like, yeah, I kicked his ass. You know, he can't stop me, whatever. But he was right, like, yeah. it was like wow, man, that was, uh, that was a very respectful response. Yeah, and we are going to get into the Lions because we have a player-led practice. We've got a preseason game to talk about. We've got another one coming up where there's one key individual that is not playing. So, TJ, I don't know where you want to start. Let's start off just a quick review of – Last week, um, the the two intra-squad scrimmages, uh, one that we heard the Lions didn't perform very well, at least defensively. Uh, the second day, it sounded like things went much better for the Lions. And then because we had those, and you, you mentioned this last week on the pod, um, probably not going to see many of the starters in, in the preseason game against the Colts. Uh, what was your takeaway? What did you hear from some of the players about those practices and also your takeaway from uh, the, the Lions finally winning a preseason game? Yeah, I think, um, you know, watching a little bit of the clips coming out Wednesday, everything was very one-sided. You know, it sounded like uh, the Lions' defensive backfield, you know, couldn't stop anything. Yeah. Um, probably a bit of an overreaction. I mean, I think most of those plays were coming from you know, seven on seven, you don't have a pass rush, you don't have linebackers in the middle of the field, you know, clogging things up. But um, that was probably the takeaway from day one where a lot of people are like, man, it sounds like the Colts or Matt Ryan are just lighting their ass up in the secondary. Uh, it did sound like day two went better. Uh, I talked to Hank Fraley a little bit before the game on Saturday, and he was very um, happy with the work that the offensive line got in. You're going against guys like, you know, Yannick Ngakwe, who's been a very good pass rusher in this league for some time. You're going against a guy like DeForest Buckner, who is uh, one of the best interior rushers uh, in the NFL. Um, just got a lot of really solid work, you know, a lot of solid work. And I know they were pretty happy with the uh, with the workload, you know, coming out of that week. And that's why the decision was made that the starters were not going to get any reps in the game because, you know, they had very uh, productive uh Two days of practice uh, against the Colts. So, um, but I was, I was, uh, I got to be honest with you. I was a little nervous going into the game Saturday. I was like, man, no starters are playing. Like, this has got a chance to be some bad football. Yeah. <laughs> you know, anytime you get the a lot of penalties, yeah, yeah, sloppy play, yeah, missed just, assignments. Right. Yeah. Just sloppy. You know, just a low-scoring, you know, six-three type game. Nobody can move the ball and. I had a little bit of that prejudice going into the game because we've seen it before. And it's, it normally used to be preseason four where it was just like, God bless, just run the clock. Come on, let's get yes. the hell out of here. But I was actually um, pretty surprised and pleasantly surprised and entertained with uh, how the Lions' backups came out ready to go. I thought, uh, you know, that offensive line definitely stood out anytime you run for over five yards of carry and you know, over 150 yards is is uh, not easy to do, especially against a team like the Colts, where they kind of pride themselves on. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. 
On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Stop the run. They're going against, you know, Jonathan Taylor every day. And, you know, they pride themselves on being able to stop the run. I thought it was impressive to be able to do that against a, a crew that, you know, takes that um, so serious. A uh, couple other guys, I mean, defensively, <clears throat> Austin Bryant stood out. I mean, he uh, he's that two type of dude that it's like, yeah, you don't want to say make or break year for him, but it's like we got to see something. We got to know if this guy's – you know, going to be a big part of this team or not. And I thought he really showed up. He looked like a guy playing for a, a position and a job on this team. Um, you know, John Kaminsky was kind of a sleeper uh, surprise. You know, I thought, you know, throughout the first couple of weeks of practice, everybody's like, yeah, he's, you know, typical white dude, hard work and energy effort. <laughs> you yeah. know, anything that comes with a white defensive lineman, you know, usually high motor type uh, type skills. But I, I thought he stood out and, and made some good plays and, um you know, I thought it was an entertaining game. And I think, gosh, it was like late into the third quarter. And I want to say there might have been a holding call. And we said on the broadcast, wow, that's okay. It's first penalty today. And it's like, damn, that's pretty freaking impressive for, you know, a bunch of backups and third string guys out there fighting for the fighting their ass off. Scrap, scratching and clawing. And, and not only uh, be productive, but also do it in a disciplined manner. I was like, man, that's, that's pretty impressive. So, uh, but as a whole, I think, look, this team, I, I thought they started to build a little bit of an identity against the Falcons, you know, with the energy and, and the intensity that they played with, specifically the starters. You know, we were out there for the first drive. But I thought that uh, I thought they kept building on that. And, look, a lot of those guys we saw playing that game, sure, aren't going to be here in a couple weeks. But a lot of them are going to be here, and a lot of them are going to be one play away from playing meaningful snaps on this football team. You know, look at guys like Evan Brown who yep. had to come in and fill in big time last year, Matt Nelson. Um, you know, even Tommy Kramer had a couple starts in that offensive line. So you're not just looking at backups. You're not just looking at guys that, you know, aren't going to be here or guys that are going to be on the practice squad. You're looking at guys where it's like, if we have an injury, we need one of these guys to step up in a big way. And uh, overall, man, I thought it was impressive. I thought it was it, it, it's a preseason game, right? You're not popping champagne and celebrating the locker room afterwards, but uh, to be able to do an experience 
uh, a win for a lot of those rookies, first time in the NFL, getting a chance to you know get that winning feeling in the locker room is contagious, and that's something that you want to have. And that's uh, what Coach Campbell said after the game about how you know we don't care if it's preseason, we want to go out there and win. We want to set a standard around here that we we want to go. We yeah. we expect to win football games, and I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was a nice way to finish. And, and, and the last thing I thought, you know, look, last week against uh, the previous game against Atlanta, you know, you had a chance there late in the game uh, to kind of ice that thing, right? Um, offensively, we all know about the fumble, but you had a chance, one play, right? Fourth and nine, Desmond Ritter. Uh, you have one play to win that game, right? And it didn't go their way. Atlanta made the play. You did not. Same thing against Indy, right? Two-point conversion, 30 seconds left, whatever it was. One play to win the game. And you found a way to, uh, you know, t- turn that thing around and yep. go make that play and let it fall into your favor. So I thought there were there were a lot of positives um, from from game one to game two. Yeah, and uh, another positive: Frank Reich scores. They score the touchdown and go for two instead of kicking the field goal to go into overtime. Take there that, might not be that. anything worse. And I know I don't know you if were sitting there overtime on... in preseason football. Oh like, yeah, I was trying to think about that. There I'm is. Like, I don't know if there is. There is. I don't um, know if any coach has ever been dumb enough to do. <laughs> like even with Atlanta the week before, it was like a three right. point game. They're like. Now we're going for it. Please yeah. don't do it. <laughs> yes. um, you know, and, and playing off that because, you know, you mentioned the identity of this team and they're starting to find that throughout the preseason. They'll, they'll continue to define their identity in the first few weeks of the regular season. Um, but Dan Campbell did something interesting this week in practice. And he, he talks about empowering his players. And so yesterday they went out on Monday's practice with no coaches, no assistant coaches. I don't know if you saw this or not. Um, And here's here's Dan's quote. It's their team. I want them to have ownership of it. Um, You know, and then you start hearing from some of the players. Uh, This is what uh, Taylor Decker had to say. He He just told us in our team meeting, he was like, this is like the periods we want out of practice and the coaches won't be out there. Uh, he pretty much just left it up to us um, uh, to so uh, he pretty much just left it at that. So we're like, oh, OK, when you hear the players talk about this, um, first of all, I got to imagine it was somewhat of a relief not to have the coaches out there, especially with this coaching staff, being that they're a more high intense coaching staff, former players. You don't have to worry about hearing the this is how I would do it conversation. This is how I did it back in the day conversation. But have you ever seen this happen before? Have you ever been a part of this? I've seen it and, and heard it talked about before. I like it. Um, but I'll tell you why in a second, because I want to see what your take is on on a player-led practice, no coaches out there in yeah. training camp. I, I mean, I don't think it was a, you know, it wasn't clearly a two-hour full, full pad of practice, right. you know, getting after it type where, their schedule and everything and blowing whistles and all right, changing their, but they're out there, you know, taking ownership of it. And I think that was the first word that popped into my mind is ownership. And I think as a player, you know, the best teams I played on, uh, players had a large part of, you know, not only what we wanted to do in practice, but what we were going to do on game day. And anytime you, you, you have a say in, you know, what plays you want to run, what, what you want to practice, what technique you want to work on that week uh, against whatever opponent you're going against, there's a a part of you, and I think it's just human nature, that's going to make you work a little bit harder, that's going to make you want to 
succeed that much more. You know, if John, you're the coach and you say, Hey TJ, what what do you want to run on third and one? And I say, Boom, I want to run this, you know, fullback dive, whatever. I, I think we can beat this, you know, nose tackles ass. And it's gonna be just an attitude play, right? And the coach says, Okay, we're gonna call it. That's gonna make me wanna <laughs> work a little bit harder to make sure that play works. You know what I mean? Because now you feel like you have ownership of it. Now you feel like, hey, if the play doesn't work, everybody's going to be looking at your ass, being like, right. dude, you thought it was, you said it was going to work. What's going on? So there's that human element of of ownership and making, uh, making sure, uh, you know, you have a little piece of the pie, right? Because you know, I've also played on teams where it's like, hey, coach, I think in the run game we should do this this week, and the coach is like, just do, just run what I call, yeah. you know, and it's that it's like, well. Man, like yeah. he doesn't. You think you can coach better than me? me? Right, and you're like, all right, you know, like okay, but I'm. It's it's just there's a different switch that flips when you have um, a little bit of that action. You know, when you're responsible for uh, what you're actually doing out there. So I thought it was. I thought it was. Look, I thought it was creative. Um, I thought it was uh, a chance to give these guys a, a chance to go out there and and really kind of bond as a team and yeah. let the leaders really take control of what they want to be and how they want to do it and what they need to do to get to that level. The hell just fell in here. Good Lord. <laughs> Toes almost got taken off by a cabinet. New studio's falling apart already. But yeah, I thought it was, uh, and, and it's, you got to make sure it doesn't turn into like a substitute teacher session, you know, where it's right. like, coach is giving us free pass while bots go out here and jack around. Hey, offensive line, seven on seven, you know, why don't you guys run some routes? And from all accounts, it was like, no, like this is the player's team. This is their team. Let them, we're, we're going to let them figure out what they want to be, how they want to be it and give them a chance to take ownership of this thing. So I thought it was, uh, you always hear about, you know, players only meetings. And normally that's when things aren't really going yeah. right. It's already hit the fan. Yeah, you kind of have to come like a come to Jesus type moment to get everybody on the same page. But doing that earlier in the year, I think it shows um, shows the players that like, look, this isn't about us coaches. Like, this is about you guys. Yep. You know what I mean? And I think that uh, that gives you a, a sense of empowerment if you're a player. And it, it, one thing I think it forces leadership for, so it doesn't become that you know uh, you know just silly session. You've got to have guys that are out there and making sure guys stay on task, make sure they stay focused, uh, make sure that they're getting something done. You're not just wasting your time. But here's another thing, too, in terms of just the understanding the offense, the concepts of the play is, and it goes back to that leadership, who is it that's making corrections out there? Are you self-correcting? Are you seeing, are you hearing things from your teammate? Because it's one thing to learn it in the classroom. It's one thing to go out there and do. It's another thing to teach. You gain a uh, I think a better depth of knowledge in whether it's the technique, the play, uh, just the concepts that you're running when you are actually teaching it to someone else, yeah. because you can't bullshit. You've got to go out there and know exactly what is supposed to be done, how it's supposed to look, how it's supposed to feel and the end result, both offensively and defensively. So I think it was, it was one ownership that the, the players are taking on, on this team. Um, and, and, and Dan Campbell's, you know, um, you know, trying to empower them, but it was also a depth of knowledge and also gaining some, you know, some insight into who's going to step up and be leaders on this team. Jared Goff has to be one of those guys. And whether it's Boyle and Blau that are running this thing and running the plays, those guys, you know, and we hope it doesn't happen, but one of them is going to be the number two quarterback. 
one of them at some point this season is going to have to go in there and operate this offense. They're going to have to understand all the ins and outs of everything. And you and I both know the number two quarterback is the greatest job in sports. Because Same when the arm. when when the, the, the preseason <laughs> is over, their job ends. They're they're holding clipboards. They're not running the the demo squad. That's yeah. either going to be the number three quarterback or a quarterback that's on a practice squad. Yeah. They're getting next to no reps with the ones because you want your starting quarterback, who's going to be Jared Goff, to get all of those reps. This is an opportunity for them to get a deeper knowledge of this offense. Um, and before we go, because uh, we'll get a chance to talk about the final preseason game next week um, after we get a chance to see the final you know, run of stage uh, for this team. But we'll talk more a little bit about position battles next week. But I do want to get your take because and, – and I don't want to go deep into, in, into detail about Jared Goff not playing in this game. He's going to be the only starter, at least that we know of right now, that's not going to play. Maybe some other ones that are held out. But we're going to get a final look at who's going to be the number two quarterback. And hopefully we don't ever have to go through this scenario. But as I mentioned, at some point this year, we're going to see either Boyle or Blau under center. Right now, who's your number two? I still think it's Tim Boyle, but I think it's really close. I do. I think he just uh, – What is it about Boyle that, that you think is better than Blau? Look, I, I think he – when you talk about talent, I think he is a little bit more talented. I do. I, 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 don't, I, I know we haven't seen it on a consistent basis yet, but um, I've seen him make you know better throws downfield uh, with better accuracy and better anticipation and better timing. Uh, David Blau, I think, brings a little bit different aspect where, uh, you know, he kind of brings a little bit of the mobility back there. Yeah, he's not super mobile, but he right. can get outside the pocket, yeah, and, extend a play. And extend in plays, and that's great and all. But at the same time, there was there was a lot of plays last week where it's like, dude, what are you scrambling for, man? Just hang in there, you know? Let the routes develop. Let the guys come over the middle. And, look, I thought they were both better than they were against Atlanta. Um but neither of them still really feels comfortable, it seems, like throwing the ball downfield. And it's like, God damn, like we're trying to figure out what we got with Trinity Benson. We're trying to figure out what we got with, uh, you know, Tom Kennedy has been yeah. the only one that's really showed up out in that wide receiver group. Right, Pimpleton and, and even Maurice Alexander, who had a good uh, day in the return game. But it's like – give these guys a chance, man. Like we can't evaluate them if you never give them a chance to make a 50, 50 catch, you know? Um, but I think just, I think, I think Boyle has the upper hand for me just because of the pure, I, I think his talent level is a little bit higher at this point, but I do think that it's still a very, very close race. I think what last week when uh, Blau got the start over Boyle, I think that told you that okay, man, indication. Like this, this is an indication that it's either neck and neck or, Maybe David has a little bit of a slight edge over him right now, but I thought Tim Boyle was much better last week against Indy than he was in that first game against Atlanta. I think, I think look, I just – I think he makes – I think he can make the harder throws. I, I, in terms of pure talent, I don't disagree with you. Um, how the offense operates out there with Blau under center I think is better. Um, I, I, for me right now, we're on different sides of this one. I think it, even though it is as close as you, as you say, um, I think Blau has the upper hand right now because what, you know, breaking the huddle, they just look like a crisper offense. They look like, 
there's more direction, there's more leadership out there with Blau than with Boyle. Uh, but here's the thing that is a drawback for me. How did that first game go down? If David Blau doesn't lay the ball on the ground, that's a win for Detroit. Yeah. He did have an interception. I thought of uh, uh, ill-advised pass. And even though the it was Jackson who I think probably laid the ball on the ground, it was still the ball was still on the ground with Blau in the exchange between him and David Blau. Yeah. So the ball's been on the ground twice. Uh, and and with the interception, I just I, I just don't think you can go into a seat like that's why it's so close. I think it looks better with Blau, except you can't have the turnovers, yeah. can't have those lapses. So but you also need to find a way to get the ball downfield once in a while too. You know what I mean? Like you have to. I mean, all the passes. Look at I mean, just Blau. You know, twenty two attempts, seventy six yards. I mean, that's less than like three yards per attempt, which is absolutely horrible you know what i mean you have to try to force the ball downfield at points and, and take chances and give your guys a chance to make a play now what i'm excited to see most uh this week is that you know i think coach campbell already said that jared goff is not playing no matter what like he is not talking me into it again like he right. did against atlanta uh, but that means is that one of these quarterbacks is going to get a chance to play with better competition right you're not only you're playing with your starting your starting offensive line and wide receivers you're also playing against the other team starters as well. And neither of those guys have had that opportunity this year because every time they've entered the game, the starters have been gone from both teams. So um, it's gonna the, the competition is going to kick up this week. And I hope by you know Sunday afternoon, I think it's a 4.30 game, hopefully by Sunday at 8 o'clock, one of these guys really starts to separate themselves a little bit. Because like you said, I mean, like getting in the position on the field, man, you're one play away from having to come in and play meaningful football. And we need to find out which one of those guys is going to be that guy that you can trust the most. Well, meaningful football is just a little over two weeks away. The Lions will take on the Pittsburgh Steelers this coming Sunday. Next week, we'll get a chance to wrap things up. We'll start to hear uh, uh, and start evaluating this roster. We'll know who's going to make the team, who's not going to make the team, and, and get us uh, get us ramped up for meaningful football. Thanks for listening. Like, subscribe. Make sure it's always in your inbox. And that is this podcast, Necessary Roughness, with Lang and Jansen. We'll talk to you next week.